Mets fans, I want to take a quick break from talking baseball and let you know about the next top prospect in building a smart home. Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is that big time new star prospect. The Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 is a smart lock, a 2K resolution camera, and a doorbell. It's three devices in one, triple the security. You know triples are rare in baseball, but not with Eufy. You can have everything in one device rather than install many pieces on your front door. It's not just for security, but also for convenience. Just the other night, I had tons of packages in the rain. Rather than fumble for my keys, I easily entered my home. This is big since I have four dogs who are impatiently waiting for me at the door. No more concerns about losing keys, and you could assign passwords to your family members. Worried about when your loved ones are getting home? Eufy allows you to see them coming back home via the integrated camera. Hey Mets fans, this is a home run. I had a competitive product before Eufy, and it's the difference between a one-dimensional hitter and a five-tool player. Eufy is that five-tool superstar. Go to eufy.com, that's E-U-F-Y.com to learn more. Already sold? Go to Amazon and get your Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Want to go to the store? Best Buy will have it starting around May 20th. Get complete control over your front door at ease with the Eufy Video Smart Lock E330 today. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Another edition of the Talking Mets Podcast. I'm your host, Mike Silva, here on this Sunday, April the 2nd. Of course, you can check out the show all the time at MetsPrizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet, at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Blog Talk Radio, Stitcher, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. If I'm not on one, let me know. I'll try to get on there, make it easy for you. And uh, if you do, and a lot of people are doing this now, if you can leave a, a review, I think a lot of people do it on iTunes, leave a review, good, bad, and different seems like that's what uh, Apple and iTunes uh, goes by to kind of get you popped up in there if someone's looking for Mets content. Everybody now is doing a Mets podcast. It's like it's one year now, almost about a year since I did my first foray into Mets-centric only content. And now I see a lot of different ones popping up and all good stuff. Everybody has a different perspective. So I always feel like I've, you know, early on in the blogosphere when I was on WGBB, kind of pioneered stuff. And, and now I'm, I think I've done it another way. And, uh, you know, look, that's that's good to see that I've been able to jump into this thing and, and make a difference in a, in a very crowded, competitive uh, media landscape, especially here in the New York area. Happy opening day, everybody. Of course, in just about 24 hours, the Mets will take on the Atlanta Braves in New York. So the season is upon us. And what's interesting is that we have three games today. So I'm, I'm on the MLB at Bat app, which if you don't, you don't have it and you're a baseball fan, you better – 
you better get it because you got triple header today. Yankees Rays at 1 o'clock, Giants Diamondbacks at 4 o'clock, and then the Cubs Cardinals the night game. Thank God the Mets are not the night game. I hate those Sunday night baseball games. I believe next week against the Marlins they will be. With that, with that said, obviously the season is here. Our podcast will now go back to pretty much late Sunday night after all the action. The Mets typically play a Sunday afternoon game, so Sunday night will be when I put together the podcast and get you guests and features and give my opinion of the Mets at that juncture. So stay tuned for that. And obviously when there's a night game, 8 o'clock game, it'll have to be a little bit different. What I may do differently this year is that when they do have those night games, if there's a day off on a Monday or during the week, maybe we'll do a midweek content. Not as high on that. I think Sunday's a good wrap-up prior week, look forward to the week type of thing, but maybe you'll do that. So every Sunday, look out for this podcast, and uh, you could go to Metsmarize online all the time and go to the Talking Mets link, and you'll see me up there, and I'll continue this partnership with these guys as they've been good at sponsoring this podcast and getting it out there and getting my name out there into the Mets community. Great guest uh, joining me in just a little bit, Paul Lebowitz, FanRagSports.com. You can check him out on Twitter at Prince underscore of underscore NY, Prince of New York. And uh, he does a lot of work over at FanRag, specializes in Mets, but does all of MLB. And he's always got strong opinions. So if you're on Twitter and you follow Paul and you want to go at it with him and, and debate and discuss, he usually has a pretty strong opinion. And he's right a lot of times. He knows a lot about baseball and uh, it's been a while since I had him on. He was on a podcast of mine, you know, the Funk Podcast, the old NYBB podcast, and he's come a long way. And FanRag Sports with some big names like John Heyman, John Parado, and I know they're pulling in some big names in other sports as well, is becoming a force similar to what you saw at the Bleacher Report a couple of years ago. Who would have thought a John Heyman uh, would be on this independent media uh, site trying to jump into the foray, especially with the big guys like ESPN and CBS starting to cut back on names and really border their contact down to just scores and basic stringer uh, type of information. Some of these other sites are coming in and saying, hey, we need to be different. We can, the fans want good content, opinions, and, and features, and we can provide that. And that's what I think FanRag Sports is doing, and I'm glad that Paul Lebowitz will be joining us in a couple of minutes to give us his take on the Mets. We'll talk about MLB. I'd like to see some of the dark horses that he – he seems to feel are, are out there in uh, in baseball, especially in the National League. We'll get him a little bit into the American League, but we'll try to keep it focused on what you guys are thinking about. Before I get to Paul, I'll give you kind of quickly my thoughts, and I am not going to get into the prediction game. I see a bunch of people making predictions. Who's going to win the World Series? And there was actually a simulation. CBS Sports ran a simulation, I guess, based on MLB The Show. I'm a Stratomata guy. I'm old school. I don't play the video games anymore. I haven't played video games in 20 years. I think PlayStation, when it first came out, was the last time I played a video game, which was actually pretty cool when it came out, i got to tell you. I just don't have the time, and I prefer like more of a, more of a chess guy when it comes to Sims, like a Stratomatic, than a, uh, a video game guy. But apparently this, this Sim at CBS Sports using MLB The Show predicted the Mets to beat the Red Sox in seven games in the World Series, and Steven Matz is going to outduel Drew Pomeranz in Game 7. The funny part about that is I don't even know if Steven Matz is going to pitch this year. I'm sure he will, but who knows? Right now he's on the shelf. And Pomeranz is another guy who has uh, injury problems. So the likelihood of those two guys making it to October and maybe pitching in Game 7, I'm not sure that's going to happen. But listen, you're a Mets fan, and you're waking up this morning, and you're excited about the season, and you're excited about opening day. 
you got to take any news and feel good about it. If you can't be positive in spring training in February, March, I'll, you know, you're never going to be positive about your team. And if you can't be positive about your team on opening day, I'll add that, then it's only going to go downhill from there. So if you're at a, a bad point on opening day, you're going to be in for a long season. So, But I will say this is a solid team. I think they have uh, – obviously they have pitching depth, and they're going to need it. You already saw that with Lugo and Matt's out. I think Gazelman's going to be a dark horse in this rotation. I've liked him since he came up. He impressed me a lot. I know it was a small sample size, and it was late August and September, and a lot of scouts tell you you can't go by September results sometimes, especially when teams are out of the race. And it's not necessarily uh, at times every team playing for something, but I thought the Braves and the Phillies and teams that were in the division, the Marlins, were not trying to roll over last year. So I think you got a good sense of the competitiveness that that he's going to face and how he can match up to that. And I think they're going to need him. They don't have Cologne, and I'm okay with that. But if, you know, Syndergaard and DeGrom look good, look healthy, you've got your Gazelleman now there slotted at your number three. Because I don't know what to expect from Harvey. I think there's going to be a lot there. I don't know what to expect from Wheeler. We already know that Matz is on the shelf. Lugo going through some dead arm. I don't trust Montero. I need to see a lot more before I trust Montero. Um, So you you need this. You need this kind of thing. Uh, unless you want to go out and get a veteran pitcher. And, and Gazelman, to me, doesn't necessitate that right now. I think he's going to be a key in that rotation. Plus, it could take some stress off of Harvey, who might need about eight weeks to 100% show his consistent self. So I think that's important. I think the bullpen is going to be fine. I think it's actually a really good bullpen. I think there's guys down in AAA, like a Seawall, the Ben Rowan. Uh, I mean, Edgen made the team right now, and I don't know uh, how that's going to work out. I think that, you know, eventually that. You know he's going to be an odd man out when Familia comes back, and uh, I think the bullpen is probably one of the better bullpens they've had in a long time. Maybe the best one since the 2006 squad. I could say that. Now the offense got a lot of power. They got some really good hitters in that lineup. I think Cespedes is going to be the cog as they go. As Cespedes goes, they go. And and I know that there's a lot of times I said last year I even tweeted it that it's like almost like when Piazza was with the team that he's going to be that that hub. I worry that it's a little bit of a feast or famine type of offense. I think there's going to be brownouts where these guys, because they're in some cases, in some ways, very hot or not, uh, you may see some frustrating times where they just don't score. Uh, But to me, uh, uh, if they stay healthy, and and a lot of the outliers you saw offensively with them earlier in the year where they were just so bad with runners in scoring position, statistically that can't continue. So if you kind of balance it out throughout the course of a whole season – I think you won't see the drastic differences in the offense that you saw early and then post, I guess, middle of August with this team. I think Jay Bruce, and there was a great article from Mark Carrig of Newsday, uh, is going to be a huge key. I think that's going to be a storyline early. For no other reason than you don't want to get into a negative type of situation with any of the players early. I can see if Bruce gets off to a 2-for-22 start, I can see... The Conforto narrative, uh, the Bruce can't handle New York. And basically, Bruce, in the article by Mark Kerrigan News, they said, the fans, the media, talk radio, guys like me that do this, you don't know what I'm thinking. You don't know how I feel. I went through this transition. I'm not as bad of a player as you saw last year. And frankly, I'm going to show you that because I don't care what you think. I don't care if you don't think I can handle New York. I'm just going to go out and play. Wherever the chips fall, so they fall. And that's the attitude you got to have in this city, and that's the attitude in general you have to have in baseball where this, the failure rate is so high. And in this town, which has become so negative, so narrative-driven, so 
football-esque where every game is life or death, where it's championship or bust, where there's the oldest snark. You got to have that attitude or else you get swallowed up and then you look what's going on with the Knicks and the media and how negative that environment has become. A lot of it due to them and what they do, but some of it unfair and some of it being the catalyst towards pushing a narrative. And, and you could turn – look. You could turn anything in this town, any team, into a joke, a narrative, a character if you want. And this is a tough business. Baseball is a tough, real tough business. Winning is tough. It's a grind, and it's a, it's a marathon. It's not, that's not a cliche. It's a marathon, and the marathon starts tomorrow. And I think that's the early season storyline that I'm looking at. So I think it's important for Bruce to get off to a good start. Uh, what do I worry about with the Mets other than health? You know, I'd like them to have a right-handed bat in the outfield to kind of complement some of these guys. That was supposed to be Lagares. I mean, he's hurt. I know T.J. Rivera is there on the bench. Uh, I'm you know, not sure how he's going to fit into an outfield mix. But they're a pretty decent team. They're a pretty good team. How do they stack up against the Nationals? Like I said, I don't know the health situation. I don't know how certain guys are going to perform. The Nationals have a new closer, Blake Trennan. Uh, you know, they got Dusty Baker. You know, I think Murphy's played a little bit over his head, a lot over his head last year, but he's a good offensive player. I think he comes back down to earth. That makes a difference. I think it's going to be a close race between the Mets and the Nationals. And really, the last couple of years, and it's been written about in the media recently, it's come down to how the Mets play the Nationals. They beat the Nationals in 2015. They won the division. They didn't beat the Nationals last year. They didn't They didn't win the division, and they were able to make the wild card. But you don't want to rely on the wild card being a low bar like last year. So if I'm the Mets, I focus day-to-day. If you win your 90 to 95 games, you should be in a position to either A, win the division, if not, make the playoffs. And then when you're in that crapshoot wild card game, it makes life a lot harder for you uh, to make the postseason because uh, I don't necessarily consider that, even though it is the postseason, the postseason. You want to get into that division series. But, you know, you're in the tournament, and that's what it really has come down to. It's a tournament. And the Mets won the tournament in 15. They got knocked out early in 16. You want to put yourself statistically in the best place possible with the most margin of error. And that's how you, if you win 95 games, if you put yourself out there and, 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 and uh, you know, effectively manage this team day in and day out, which I think is something that Terry Collins has not done all the time, especially with the bullpen, but he's overall done a pretty good job in keeping this team together. Uh, they should be fine, you know, but it might come down just to 19 uh, outings with the nationals to also come down to how they play against some of the, Secondary teams in the division, and I do worry that some of those teams in the National League East are plucky, like the Braves, like the Marlins, like the Phillies. I don't think they're contenders, but I think those teams are not going to be rollover situations. You've got to come to play every day, and you got to take, you got to come out with that energy. Sometimes I think the Mets come out too businesslike, and that's important, you know, in a, in a full season. But I think they've got to put their stamp on certain series. I think recently they compared this team to the 2016, and that was fair, but. The 2016, which was very flawed, especially in the starting pitching department, put certain emphasis on series, like the Phillies early in the year, and they and the Braves, and they just anytime they played those teams that were considered at that time contenders, they beat them, so, and they swept them, and and that's how they won the division. And I think the Mets got to do that with the Nationals. They got to put an emphasis on those games. Not that they lose at the end of the world, but you've got to put that extra energy, that extra focus. You got to be tight. They did that in 2015, late in the year, when they played the Nats. And I think that's the difference, but I didn't see last year. And I think a lot of that had to do with um, the fact that a lot of injuries. I'm not sure they really believed they could compete and beat the Nats, especially after they got behind six, seven games by midseason. So 
Um, not going to make any predictions. That's my take on the Mets. I think it's going to be a fun season. I think you're going to have a lot of things to talk about. Hopefully for this show's sake we will. And um, I'm looking forward to another season of Mets baseball now that we've been doing this a year with you guys, the Mets Matterize Online community, and also all those other ones who are listening who are Mets fans that want to uh, engage and listen. Of course, send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media all the time, and I'd be more than happy to talk to you and, uh, and get some feedback and, and talk to you about some of the things that we're discussing here on the show. All right, let me take a quick break. When I return, Paul Lebowitz, FanRag Sports, will join me as we go around the National League, talk about the Mets. We'll jump into the American League. Let's get his thoughts on what we can look for in the 2017 baseball season. Of course, you're listening to the Talking Mets podcast. You can check me out all the time at MetsMarizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silva Media, and you can check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. We'll be back with Paul Lebowitz right after this. Hey, Mets fans. I'm going to let you in on a little secret. If you're looking for the best unbiased and independent coverage of the New York Mets, then look no further than MetsmerizedOnline.com. MetsmerizedOnline is the go-to place for comprehensive Mets coverage, including exclusive interviews, daily original articles, great weekly features, in-depth analysis, minor league reports, game-by-game breakdowns, and so much more. Find out why thousands of fans turn to Metsmerized Online every day to get the latest news and opinions about the Mets. Coming from an impressive staff of the most passionate fans and skilled writers ever assembled all in one place. Check it out for yourselves, Mets fans. Go to MetsmerizedOnline.com right now. That's Mets, M-E-R-I-Z-E-D, Online.com and get Metsmerized today. We're back, Talking Mets podcast, and I'm happy to have with me. It's been a while since I talked to Paul. I talked to Paul on an old podcast I used to have. He's over now at fanregsports.com. Paul Lebowitz, you can check him out on Twitter, at Prince underscore of underscore NY. And uh, he does some nice work over at Fanreg Sports. As I said in uh, the opening, it's actually a site that's up and coming, and you should check it out. Uh, Paul, uh, good morning. How are you? Uh, I guess happy opening day, huh? Uh, we'll see how happy it is tomorrow afternoon. What's going on? <laughs> Not much. It's kind of odd though. When you before we get into the Mets and the, and the league, so you got three games today. They're they're doing like a little NBA triple header baseball. It's odd on a Sunday at one o'clock to see baseball as the opening day game. A little bit different, huh? I go back to the traditional way it used to be when they had the Cincinnati Reds as the first game, and then everybody else was later that night. But you know, ESPN wants the ratings of the Yankees to start and then they want you know, Bumgarner and it's a Sunday afternoon and I guess they figure that's better than a Monday to yeah. accrue some ratings and you know some advertising revenue for sure and uh, so let's, let's let's start with the Mets so here's here's how I look at it same team basically as last year uh, health is always going to be in question um, I think they're as healthy as you could expect based on prior uh, history. Uh, I don't think the bullpen is all that bad, even without Familia. I think, actually think the bullpen is okay. Uh, Terry Collins is here a long time. Uh, and you wrote about this. I mean, you. I mean, these are my words, not yours. As Cespedes goes, so does the Mets. I still worry that the offense is a little feast or famine. Give me your take on the 2017 Mets. Uh, I think the offense should be fine. I, I don't think they have as many question marks as, as some believe they do. They they can survive if Darno 
hits okay, isn't as bad as he was last year, but is just, you know, serviceable. And if dude is healthy, they're not going to have to worry about Wright because last year they made the mistake of – they gave Wright the respect that they felt he deserved to walk into the season without a legitimate backup at third base because if they were going to be ruthless after – 2015, what they would have done was told Wright, look, we don't know that you're going to be healthy and signed Daniel Murphy to keep him and configured the infield knowing that Wright probably wasn't going to stay healthy. But they didn't do that. It turned out to be a mistake. And this year they have Reyes and they have so they have a pretty deep infield with uh, Flores and um, uh, TJ Rivera. So I don't think the offense is going to be a problem. And Let's see what Bruce does before everybody just, you know, dumps all over him and, you know, automatically says that Conforto should be playing because I'm not of the opinion that Conforto should automatically be granted a spot in the lineup. People people forget that you can still earn a position. And I'll tell you what, I, I don't know if you read, he had an interesting Q&A with Mark Carrig of Newsday, Bruce. And Bruce basically said, hey, I don't care what the media says. You don't know what's in my mind. Uh, you don't know what I was or wasn't comfortable with. Look, and, and when you read the article, and I think a lot of fans and media types forget this, you get traded on July 31st, you're in Cincinnati, now you're in New York August 1st. You know, I think it was like five hotels, an apartment, he's away from his child. I understand $13 million, I get that. People are people. Uh, it is positive to see Jay Bruce basically say to New York and the fans, look, I'm going to do my thing, I'm not going to get crazy about that. It's the best attitude he can possibly have, if indeed that's in telling the truth uh, to the papers. Uh, I, I go back to him having the one team that he told the, the one city he told the Reds he did not want to be traded to was New York. So they turned around and they traded into New York. So obviously <laughs> he didn't want to come here, but right. what I'll say in his defense, like you said, he was away from his family. He's a guy from Texas. And that must've been like a shot in the gut. When you're telling them, they ask you where you want, where you don't want to go. You say New York, they turn around and trade you to New York. So, I mean, he was loyal to the Reds for a long time, and that's what they do to him. And I understand it from their point of view that that was the deal that was – I don't think there was a giant market for him. So they felt that was the best deal to, to make. But from his perspective, I say, listen, you know, I'm staying in hotels. My wife went back to – I don't know if she went back to Ohio or Texas, but he had a new baby, and he was thrown right into the middle of the team when Cespedes was hurt. So he was expected to be the middle of the lineup basher, which he's never been. He's always been the secondary guy beyond Votto, and he didn't have to speak very much because Brandon Phillips was always there yapping and, and being basically the spokesman for the team. So let him start the season in New York. Let him know that he's going to be here. Let him get a home. Let him be comfortable. And you're talking about a guy who has two Silver Slugger awards. He's been an all-star twice. And at the very least, you know what you're getting from him pretty much. And he was top 10 in MVP a couple times. I don't know if that means a hell of a lot, but that's enough respect. Yeah, that's a hell of a lot of respect for the guy. And, uh, you know, if you you look at it, and and I know he plays a different position, but he basically is going to put up the numbers that you'd expect from Duda. And if you had to be a betting man because of Duda's health, and how important the back, and that's a pretty serious back injury. I, don't, I think they downplay Duda's health. He's going to give you what Duda, you would expect Duda to give you, but I don't know if Duda's going to give you that because I don't know if he's going to stay healthy. Uh, Duda walks a little more. I would tend to think that Duda's going to do everything he can to get on the field as he's going to walk in free agency after the year. But 
it, I think they're sufficiently covered at first base if uh, Duda gets hurt. Um, I would say overall Duda's probably a little bit more productive than Jay Bruce. But if you're taking Jay Bruce and wherever they're sticking him in the lineup, I'm not sure what Terry's doing with the lineup. But I would put it bat him six, fifth or sixth, and just accept the 25 home runs and the strikeouts. And he's okay in right field. It's, I, I think once he's comfortable and once he's in the uh, the background guy, he'll be okay. You know, he's going to need that mindset because here's the one thing that happens in this town. If you see Bruce get off to – I don't mean to overrate Bruce, but it's like one of those early season storylines – let's say a two-for-22 start, uh, the calls for Conforto, the booing, they start the season at home, uh, all the things that were issues last year will crop up, will become a story because that's the way this thing works. Uh, it's almost imperative, as silly as it is, in a small sample size, you'd like to see the guy get off to a good start to eliminate that kind of nonsense off the bat. Well, I mean, I think historically he's been pretty good in the first half. So he had a very good first half last year. And I... I don't know what people are expecting from Conforto. I mean, he's a great talent, but to think that the Mets somehow messed with him last year or he didn't get an opportunity, is it's just nonsense. It's, it's completely contradicted by fact. He played the first month. He was great. And I wrote this the other day. He, for the three of the next five months, he batted under 200. He didn't hit. Everything was a high fastball that he flailed at or a low breaking ball in the dirt that he flailed at. They sent him down too late. They brought him back too early. And to say that he automatically needs to be anointed a spot in this lineup for a team that is looking to win the World Series is just not right. At least, like I said before, you know what you're getting from Bruce. And if Bruce is, we're talking about two months, two and a half months into the season, if he's still not hitting, then you're going to have to make a decision of what to do. But I'm... The Ligaris injury, there's an idea that it's opened the door to Conforto. I mean, where's he going to play? I mean, Terry's going to try to get him his at-bats, but he's not going to play regularly. No, there's there's really – I mean, that's – I mean, I have with me Paul Lebowitz, FanRagSports.com. Uh, we're previewing the Mets this season. Uh, go check him out at FanRagSports.com. Check out the site. It's actually very interesting. A lot of, a lot of big-name writers, baseball and other sports – heading over there. Uh, does it worry you of the lack of maybe some complimentary right-handed – Components, you know, because you would prefer if Conforto was right-handed in a backup, they could sp- he could spell Bruce, he could spell Granderson. That was what Lagares was for. Obliques are tricky. Uh, what are you going to figure he's out three weeks, maybe a month? And even so, Lagares has never shown the ability to hit consistently. He's almost a defensive fourth outfielder. Does that concern you at all in the outfield? The lack of a righty component that they're a little left-handed heavy and and pretty susceptible late in the game. Uh, Granderson hits lefties okay. I don't, I don't think it's that big of an issue. But so when you've got Cespedes, who's the, the one hitter who uh, the other teams have to sit and worry about, as long as he's healthy, they'll be okay. And uh, T.J. Rivera's been taking some fly balls, I think. Uh, I don't think it's that big of an issue. And if it is, as the season moves along, then you'll see what's available. I mean, there are going to be teams dropping out of it, and there's going to be players available to trade for. This is Cespedes' team. So pretty much if Cespedes has an MVP season, uh, it's almost like when Piazza was the cog in the offense. Uh, as you know, Ces- as Piazza went, so did the offense, and to a certain degree, you feel the same way with Cespedes? You wrote about him recently over at FanRag Sports. It's, uh, Cespedes and Piazza have a sort of a kindred spirit, so they don't like being the leader. Like when Piazza was there, the acknowledged leaders were Ventura and Todd Zeal. 
with Cespedes, there are other leaders like um, Azrubal Cabrera. And I think Rene Rivera is a more vocal voice in the clubhouse than people realize. He's pretty well popular. Uh, I don't think so. I think Cespedes just wants to do his thing. He wants to play golf and he wants to play baseball. And that's the end of it. He doesn't want to have to speak to the media. He doesn't want to have to be the leader on the field. And he's fine with doing that. They must haven't had that kind of a. They haven't had that middle of the lineup threat since Piazza. I mean, the the, yeah. the guy, that one guy who right. generates the attention. I mean, they had Beltron, but Beltron didn't like being the center of attention either. Yeah, even Delgado's was starting to be. That was a different. I know they, that that comparison came up. That was a, a way different team. And with me, uh, Paul Lebowitz, uh, FanRag Sports. I think Robert Gazelman is probably one of the more important parts of the rotation because. A, he's healthy. I think he's 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 uh, uh, he's got a lot of moxie. He's an under the radar pitcher in a lot of ways, at least with the, from the media point of view. And with the uncertain health of Wheeler and Mats and El Lugo, and and you made a great point on Twitter. You never have enough. People always say, "Oh, the, this, the Mets have all this pitching." That it goes away really, really quick, as you can see. I think Gazelman is going to be an important component, especially since you don't have Cologne anymore. Uh, any thoughts on that? What I like about Gesellman is his stuff is better than it's advertised, but he has that ability to get out of trouble. Once he gets in trouble, you can. there are some pitchers who wilt and look toward the dugout to say, get me out of here, and I've done my five innings, and now I'm in trouble, get somebody to you know, wriggle me out of it and get me a win. Gesellman digs in, and he fights his way through it, and he figures a way out of it. And if, if people forget, he only gave up one home run last year, and it was in the first game he, he pitched. So right. he keeps the ball in the park, and I think he's got the it. Like, I'm going to figure a way out of this, and that'll be the end of it. You don't have to worry about the bullpen with me. No, I, I agree. And when Familia comes back, it's going to be even that much stronger. I think it's one of the better bullpens they've had, and, and they actually probably have some arms they're going to have to make some tough decisions on. And I think they have some arms down in AAA they could help out in case – uh, of an injury. The Washington Nationals, everybody, and I was listening to Casey Stern over on the MLB Network Radio, and, and the consensus is that they're, I guess everybody feels the Mets are a good team, but they have concerns about the health. They have some concerns about some of the things that you and I have just talked about. So they're putting a five to seven game spread between the two teams, similar to last year. Uh, you know, they, they have, you know, the Nationals have a solid offense. I think their pitching is, is really, starting pitching is really solid. I know they have a closer that's unproven, but he's not chopped liver. Uh, Did they even name a closer? Thought? Blake Trennan. Blake, uh, was that oh, okay. his last name? Yeah. So I was I was promoting uh, him from the beginning that I think he should be the closer. Trennan. Right. So I mean, what are so. your what are your thoughts? What is is this a down to the wire scenario? Do you think the Nationals, like some national media types, are are far superior? What what are your thoughts of of the Nationals when you compare them to the Mets? Well, I mean, I'm not really all that interested in what the Nationals media types are saying, but. Uh, they're pitching. They're starting pitching is okay. It's top heavy. Uh, I don't know about this this finger issue with Scherzer. I mean, they're going to pitch him, but if they don't have Scherzer at 100, percent I mean, that's a problem. I mean, Tanner Roark is is underrated, but by now it's pretty well established that Strasburg is not going to stay healthy, and he's going to he'll give them the 25 starts. He'll be very good, and at most they'll get the 180 innings, maybe. And there'll be three or four instances during the season where he's got a back problem or a shoulder problem or something, and he's not able to pitch. Now, the bullpen, I like Trinan as the closer. I, they should be okay. But 
Do you really expect Daniel Murphy to hit 347 again? And no, have I think position. he's a solid hitter, but not that's a that's a, a a career outlier. I think what you saw in 15 from Murphy is more what you'd expect. What 15 home runs, 290. Uh, I don't want to pick. Uh, on I, Murphy, I would say he's like, a he's a 20 home run guy, and but there is the defensive lapses and the on base, base path lapses that he's constantly going to have, and they do diminish his value. And you know, I don't know what they're going to do with Ryan Zimmerman because it's getting to the point where contract aside, he's going to have to sit because he doesn't hit. And, you know, and uh, what's it? Trey Turner is a, uh, he's a star. He's going to be a star. They're a good team. I don't know that they're better than the Mets. The Mets pitching is better. If the Mets are healthy, then the Mets are a better team and the Mets have a deeper bullpen. And that that could very well be the difference. The the you know Kevin Curtin was on last week and he disagreed with me. I think the Braves are going to be plucky, uh, the Marlins are going to be plucky. Uh, you know the Phillies. I think I don't think the bottom they're not any good at the bottom half, but I don't think it's the same pushover that maybe those bottom guys were early last year. Uh, do you agree with that? Because I think I think they have some interesting talent to play, especially the Braves. I mean you know Enciarte and Swanson. Uh, you know, got some veteran pitchers. I don't. I don't think they're going to be as bad as everybody thinks. I think the Braves are going to be bad, and they yeah. made those moves with uh, Dickey and Cologne to try to attract some fans to the new ballpark. I mean, John Hart's not stupid. He knows this team probably isn't ready to win. So what we'll do, we'll get in some veterans who are going to be able to impart their wisdom on the young pitchers on how to behave and how to prepare. And what I think they'll stay competitive for the first half, but uh, it's going to start to fade probably when the war- the warmer months hit, and they're not they're not a good team yet. They will be, but they're not now. The Marlins are my dark horse team because I don't think it's appreciated how hard Don Mattingly works, and that was one of the reasons he wanted Barry Bonds gone because Mattingly's attitude seems to be, I'm putting in all this time, and this guy's just showing up whenever he feels like it and not really exerting effort to do what I want him to do with the hitters. And obviously the Jose Fernandez loss is devastating. But, I mean, the starting pitching is okay. And they have a a deep bullpen now, and they can hit. And they can run. They have a good defense. They can steal some bases. I think they're a a dark horse wild card contender. And and look, if you have a good bullpen, if you have a good bullpen, and you have a decent offense, you're not going to maybe win a championship or make the playoffs, but you're going to be a pain in the neck a lot of nights if the games are close. Well, you know, no matter how Donnie, good Donnie does a good job with the bullpen. So I think they'll be okay. And the Phillies, they have a good future, but this year I don't think they're going to be much better than the Braves. I would be Paul Lebowitz, FanRagSports.com, previewing the Mets, getting a little take uh, as he covers uh, baseball over at FanRag Sports. John Parado over at Fanrag Sports said uh, there's a lot of similarities between the Cubs and the and the big red machine. He called them the big blue machine. Um, are the Cubs? I mean, are the Cubs these you know far and away better than everyone in the in the uh, in the league? I think the Mets have already they already beaten them once. Uh, I think it was Ron Darling who said that it was Keith Hernandez that said that uh, you know the Mets aren't really afraid of them. Cubs are good. Do I think they're unbeatable? No. What are your thoughts? I mean, are we going by media hype or are we going by reality? No, reality. I mean, but you, but you know, that's 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 radio, man. Media hype and bringing reality and media hype together is what what you got to do. 
see, it's hard to, to differentiate between being sick of hearing about them and to accurately assess them. You know, I mean, Theo deserves the credit he's gotten, but it was, uh, Francesca was talking about this the other day. You know, Jason Hayward, they won't shut up about him. Well, he fixed his swing. He's a great leader. The guy is a pretty good player. He was a pretty good player who got great what player money. What a bad money. contract. What a bad contract. <laughs> I don't, I've never seen him be a good hitter. I understand the glove, but $180 million. Paul, I got to tell you, I yeah, knew what? that was – the only other contract I thought was bad off the bat, and I'm wrong as much as I'm right, maybe more, was the Pablo Sandoval one a couple of years back. I never understood the hype about him. Hayward was right up there. With uh, Sandoval, you know, to get off subject for a second, Sandoval, I think the Red Sox signed him because they were looking for that postseason performer. He should never have left the Giants. There are players who, should, who are accepted in their clubhouse for what they are, and they're comfortable there, and then if you take them out of that situation, they just come apart. Now, he seems to be in a little bit better shape this year, and he is a pressure player, so we'll see what they get from him. But that was uh, but $90 million compared to the $180 million the Cubs gave to Jason Hayward. I would not be surprised at midseason that if this continues, they look, they contact the Yankees and say, how about Ellsbury for uh, Hayward? Hmm. And see if maybe him being closer to home in New Jersey would, and the short right field porch in Yankee Stadium would help him. Because the Yankees were interested in, in him a few years ago. Uh, I, the Cubs are a good team. Their pitching is in question. Hendricks is going to have a, a fallback. And they're not as deep in the rotation, and their bullpen. I don't know about their bullpen either, because Wade Davis has had some injury issues in the past couple of years. So, and Joe Madden kind of exposed himself from what I've been saying for years that he's overrated. Yeah. Right now, I've heard you say that a lot. They everybody loves him because he's good with the media and he's he's a man of the people, so to speak. But I I, yeah. I agree. I mean, he's as quirky as they are. You know, you could criticize well, Collins, Girardi here in this town, but. You know, Madden, if he was in New York, I think, especially with the Chapman thing, uh, it would be interesting how he would be treated. He, he would not be able to function in New York. Uh, he would not. They they roast him. And Keith Hernandez has, has repeatedly said it, that Joe Madden is a self-promoter. Now, at the beginning of his career, he was a well-qualified candidate. He worked hard. He waited for his chance. He got it. And then all of a sudden, his ego exploded, and he's turned into this. And it would have been just like, Incredible irony if after they spent all that money on him, he made a bigger gap than Grady Little did to blow the World Series. <laughs> when Theo wanted to fire Grady Little at midseason, or he wanted to fire him during the game, then you turn around and Joe Madden does something like this, and he tries to explain it with this circular nonsense. I just don't want to hear him. I, they're a good team. They're not, they're not unstoppable. They're not unbeatable. They they probably should have lost the World Series last year. I a hundred percent agree with that. Cardinals rebound. I don't know about their pitching, and you know you get into managers. Everybody gets on on Collins. You look at some of these guys like Mike Matheny and and Madden, and you wonder how they're keeping their jobs. So we're uh, there's not many the good managers where... out there, Paul. I mean, I got to tell you, I, clubhouse is a different thing. That's important. It's probably more important. When it comes to in-game management, and I don't know if this is because it's, you know, there's so much data available to them, and it's easy sitting home. I get that. You and I, you know, don't know who's, who's healthy, who's not, who's feeling this, who's not. There's a lot of other things that go into play. It's not Stratomatic, but 
there's not a lot of good managers who they make a lot of peculiar bullpen moves throughout the league. And maybe it's us just well, being overly critical. It's easy for us as sitting at home to do it. Who can you say off the top of off top of your head who is a top level manager? You got Bochi, you got Girardi, yep. you got Francona. Uh, who else? I mean, they've had to adapt um, to the way these these front offices are interfering with what they're doing. Right. And you know, John Farrell is a terrible, terrible manager. Now the Red Sox are having all these shoulder problems with their shoulder program. Isn't that supposed to be his strength? Isn't that his thing? That he's a pitching the one. There's no reason to have him managing the team if he can't handle the pitchers. That's right. I speculated no, the other day. I speculated the other day that if they get off to a bad start, I got the impression that Jim Leland got the itch again when he was coaching in the WB managing the WBC. So if the Red Sox are floundering with all their contracts, so could Dave Dombrowski bring hire him a third time and say, "Listen, manage the team this year, and next year." I mean, Jack McKeon won the World Series. He was what seventy two. Well, it's almost – you're right, Jack McKean. That would be a very uh, reminiscent move. Or like when Pat Riley came in and, and took over Stan Van Gundy to get uh, a team to the championship. That's an interesting point. Hey, uh, Giants or Dodgers, who do you like better in the West? Uh, I'm, I'm always questioning why everyone's in love with the Dodgers every year because their starting pitching isn't very good, and maybe that's a bias against the way they run the team now and the well, credit Kershaw, they get for things that – You can't see past Kershaw. Wow. I mean, you've got Kershaw, then they spend all this money on, on Brandon McCoy. Look at the money they've wasted on these pitchers. And then you turn around and give $50 million to Rich Hill. Do you really think he's going to be worth that amount of money? Should have just kept the money Grinke. they spent on Should have just kept Granky, even though Granky's I said that repeatedly. But you've got McCarthy. That was $50 million. You've got Kazmir. That was $50 million. Uh, Hill, $50 million. They wasted, what was it, $13 million on the qualifying offer for uh, $15 million. For Brett Anderson, they got... Ten innings. I always pick the right. Giants because of their their postseason moxie, and Bochi and Bumgarner. They're a team you have to that will drag you out into the parking lot and fight you to win. I don't get that impression with the Dodgers. I agree with that. I would be Paul Lebowitz, FanRagSports.com. You mentioned the uh, the Marlins. Who are some of the other dark horses in the National League that uh, we should be taking a look at? A lot of people like the Diamondbacks. I'm a little ambivalent about them. I think the the Rockies are probably going to be better. And I'm not the biggest fan of Bud Black, but he's good with the pitchers. And you put him in a situation with having to handle, navigate the pitching in Colorado, and they're always going to be able to hit. So I think they could improve. I think they can end up over 500 and maybe on the fringes I agree. of one of the wildcard spots. It's becoming a tough – I mean, for a while there with the humidor, it was starting to be neutralized where you didn't feel it was a wacky game out there. But the last mm-hmm. couple of years, it started to turn again. I don't know if they're not using the humidor as much. Maybe it's a better – obviously a better Rockies offense. Um, they're going to be an annoying team to play. I don't think you're going to want to play in Colorado a three or four-game set this year. I don't That's think anybody pump. really wants to play in Colorado with the – Well, the, the pitters pitch. do – you want to get your average up, the hitters do. But you're right; it's gonna it's gonna be a mess of a weekend uh, if you go in there and uh, and expect to come out unscathed. Uh, that is an interesting pick. Uh, the Diamondbacks, you're right. I mean, if Granky returns to form, it might make a difference out there. Uh, but there's so much uh, turmoil with the, the Larusa stuff and Stewart. You got to wonder how they could turn that around in such a short span of time. Well, they seem to have cleared that out, even though Larusa is still there and he's still. Uh, it's almost like they're just letting him speak without having any actual influence on the team and that tenure was I you know look I'm a big fan of La Russa as a manager but if you take him out of his comfort zone and you put him in a position I still hold 
hold to the idea that his main goal in taking over a team from the front office was to, to shove it to Jeff Luno and the stack guys who had come in and interfered with his his game. But, you know, put him on the field, I, I thought he should have just gone and managed the team. Maybe they, they would have been better. That's a fair point. Moving over to the American League, everybody loves the Red Sox. Uh, obviously, the Indians are, uh, you know, the pennant winners. Uh, you know, Mariners getting some love. W- w- give me your your top teams in the American League. Well, I, obviously, you have the Indians. Uh, I'm not in love with the Astros. Um, I think a sleeper so you team. You talk in about the Amer- media hype. The 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 baseball prospectus crowd is gonna, you know. Go to that, you know, the Astros are the validation of that of that whole thing. You know that's that. exactly right. You know the agenda that they have that it proves their point when it doesn't really prove anything because once you get into that position where you're running the team, you find out all the little nuances that go into running the team, and it goes back to like what the what were you thinking attitude? Like these guys think it's a joke. Like the, uh, Chris Torreo with the Cardinals, this is not a game. Like stealing other teams' information, you're not a spy. It's not this fun thing you're doing. You're going to get in trouble, and he's going to jail. The The Blue Jays will be good. Uh, I think the Orioles are being underrated. Uh, I always think the Tigers are going to be good, and they have the stars at the top of the food chain, but it seems to me that if by midseason, if they are fading out, then they are going to clean house because of the lack of movement they made uh, from the winter and – that they really didn't spend any money and that they're trying to rebuild the farm system for real rather than just as, you know, we'll keep our prospects until we get some better and who we're going to trade for. Will the Yankees give New York any kind of buzz this year other than the, on the prospect list? You know as well as I do, those prospect lists are, are essentially worthless. Um, and the mainstream media is picked. See, remember, Paul, you go back because you've been in the blogosphere like I before all this. This used to be just a little niche thing that you know guys like you and I would, would look at. Now you got everybody at the New York Post is a prospect expert and falls for the hype. And uh, we this is not the first time. Look, they have some really good players. But the Yankees prospect list has always been looked at a lot better because they're the Yankees, in my opinion, than reality. And a lot of that is to do with the hype and, and, and the and the carpet ride that a guy like Cashman receives basically due to the, you know, late nineties turn of the century and I guess the money they spent throughout the uh, the first ten years of the decade. Well, I'm not a Cashman fan, but I have accumulated a newfound respect for him because you know, you know what he's dealing with, that like it's we're the Yankees and we cannot tear it down to sixty wins and let you rebuild it. And He's had to walk that line. And same with Girardi. Like, we all, we have to win, but we also have to try to incorporate these youngsters. And that he was able to convince – how Simon is more reasonable than, say, Randy yeah. Levine and some of these other people in the front office that, look, we, we even though they were relatively close to a playoff spot at midseason, for him to convince them to let him make those trades, I don't know. He must have been working on them from years ago that they had to do this. And – According to the prospect list, they got all the right names. Who knows? Who knows with these players? I, I'm sick of hearing about like this prospect, and they're going to be so great in three years, and then they, they all fade out. We heard this about the Twins a couple years ago. And, you know, it took how long for the Royals when they were loaded with prospects, and they still had to bring in veterans. They still had to make that trade where 
Dayton Moore got roasted trading with Will Myers, and it turned out helping them win the World Series. And look, the Winning Mets are a perfect and example. Series. The Mets are a perfect example. If you and I talked about Gazelle, I, I, Gazelleman and Lugo were never any prospects talked about. I didn't pay attention to them. I've paid less attention to these prospect lists the last couple of years because you just don't know. Um, nobody would have talked about these guys. Gazella might be a 10-12 game winner, third, you know, third in the rotation. A year ago, I don't think anybody who was a quote-unquote expert could have said that, including the guys in the organization, uh, guys who worked with him like a Viola or guys like that. They, with Gisellman, they seem to think that once he got to the big leagues, that his stuff took another went up another level, and that could have been due to being in Las Vegas and the difficult conditions there. Who knows what it was? But that was the same thing with Degrom. They brought him to the big leagues, and he became somebody else. So that's just it's luck. Well, and you can't you can't put aside uh, the the personal aspect and and what they have inside the moxie that these guys have. Uh, do you like making predictions? See, I don't like making predictions because you know everybody's got a prediction. It's like you know what, and everybody's got you know what. Um, you want to make a prediction here? Do you feel strong about something, or you're more like, hey, this is what could happen, and I kind of you know laid everything out for you. Let's see where this thing goes. I used to like to do it, but I mean, what good is it? Because when you make that kind of a prediction, like say somebody picked the Indians last year, and who could have said, would, had they got, not gotten Andrew Miller, would they have made it all the way to the World Series? So you can't predict no. what a team is going to – and teams are not built in the winter anymore. I mean, there's always the winter champion, the hot stove champion, and everybody crowns whichever team in the winter. And how often does the hot stove winner end up winning during the season? They never do. So, I think the Marlins one year, the Padres another year. Uh, the Yankees when they when they sign uh, Ellsbury and all those guys. I mean, it's it's actually quite comical. I I Look, think that any, you and I were both against the Ellsbury side. I well, you know, <laughs> he never was Carlos Beltran. That's the thing. I, I never understood it. And look, again, I don't like to say that I'm uh, you know right all the time. Not nah, I'm right wrong way more than I'm right. Just like any other human being. But they paid him like Carlos Beltran. And he had one year like Carlos Beltran. That that's the thing that drove me nuts. And nobody understood it. When I said it. To, to me, the Ellsbury signing was a panic move. They had just lost Cano. We have to do something. And to their credit, the Yankees have stepped away from have, worrying about selling tickets to the fans, those Wall Street fans. Who, now you, you saw the poll the other day that now there are more Mets fans in New York than Yankee fans. I mean, that tells me you got the left side. There are the percentage of fans who are Mets fans. They're Mets fans, yep. and that's it. And you've got the other side, they're Yankees fans, they're Yankees fans. And, and then you it. have those. And right play. in the middle, it's like middle America. You've got the West Coast that's uh, liberal, you've got the East Coast that's liberal, and in the middle, you've got these people who just jump whoever's winning and whoever's going to benefit them. So now I'm a Mets fan. Now I'm a Yankees fan. So the, there are fans who just go to the – it's like the hot ticket on Broadway. The Mets are more interesting. They're going to go. And then you add in the, the prices that the Yankees are charging, and why would you go? Yeah. But, no, I uh, mean, it's it's never been a stadium that I felt I had to go there. And, you know, it's funny. I always thought, and again, I don't want to, because I know we do this as a Met-centric show. I don't want to make it seem like I'm just here bashing the Yankees, because like, like Paul said, they've done some nice things. But I found it funny that they had, like, the whole caravan thing with the young players. This is a team that was, you know, about top shelf, you know, history, mm-hmm. tradition. And, you know, you it's a privilege 
walking into Yankee Stadium, you know, the lectures from Randy Levine, and now they're trying to engage their audience. It, it was actually quite comical, but it wasn't even worth bringing up because the hypocrisy has always been there. Nobody wanted to talk about it, and, they, and, they, and you can't win that argument with, with the national media and the New York media for that, for that matter. I, I think it's becoming more recognizable in New York, and it's something that Alderson did that he got rid of every player in the organization that was a potential trouble source. Any player that was a problem, he got rid of them. And if you look at the Mets clubhouse, it's, it's a good group of guys. Everybody, you know, they seem to get along. It's cohesive. And that's one thing Cashman tried to do. He tried to just get rid of any player who was a problem or a potential problem. And then he's bringing in character guys. Like if somebody, if one of those young players in the Yankees clubhouse steps out of line, Matt Holiday is going to pick him up and he's going to throw him across the room. Yep. You have to do that. And you're away from the A-Rod drama, and I think the most important thing for the Yankees is to get away from the 90s. Like, the Jeter Day is coming up in May. You had your your Posada love affair. You had uh, your Mariano and Pettit. They they really got to put that in the past. It's similar, you know, even with the 86 thing this year, and I talked a little bit about it on the show, but compared to 10 years ago when they did it, you're at a point where you're like, it's just time to put it in the closet. You know, and move they forward. have to retire the, the numbers, and that's it. You also have to realize. On. Well, they have to sell the tickets, and that this is the last throws of these guys. And if that, you have to do something to get some fans into this ballpark because I don't think they even know. Even as much as they play it up that we're enthusiastic about the young players and all that stuff, it could very easily end up at you know, seventy-five and eighty-seven well out of the playoffs by August, and another house cleaning at midseason. Now, I give Girardi the credit to bring the team in over 500, but if you look at it, they might be better off losing more games than they will lose to get the higher draft pick. Yeah, now that's for sure, and then you'll hear a lot about uh, bring back the 90s nights uh, at Yankee Stadium. Hey, Paul, what yeah. do you have coming up? Obviously, FanRagSports.com, and, and listeners, if you're not following him, check him out on Twitter, at Prince underscore of underscore NY. Paul, Paul will interact. He's not always going to agree with you. He goes back at you, and we've had some fun back and forths over the years. Uh, but at the end of the day, you have to respect somebody who has a strong opinion and stands by it and doesn't hide behind uh, you know, narratives over there. So, Paul, what do you got coming up, and what do you want the listeners to know about? Uh, it should be some Mets stuff, which I've been basically doing mostly Mets stuff. But once the season starts, uh, they'll be uh, extending to the rest of the league as well. So we'll see what happens with the Mets and uh, health and Mats and Syndergaard and particularly Wheeler. So we'll see what we get out Mets of Mets is going to be interesting because I can't figure out I mean, I understand tendonitis and whatnot, and I don't want to say the guy can't pitch through pain because he did, but it's very peculiar how there's nothing structurally wrong if they're telling the truth, and, you know, he continues to have tendonitis. Maybe, you know, I, I, I'm not a pitching coach. I don't think his mechanics are that bad. They're not great, but you got to wonder about that. I'll leave with you with that. I'm curious your thoughts on Matt. I'll leave us, the listeners with that. I, the, I'm like, back to the Francesa mindset. I am not going to question a guy who's saying he's in pain. Okay, it hurts. But there are pitchers who will fight through the pain and pitch anyway. And he wasn't very good in the spring, but it's getting to the to the point where, like, I'm not comparing him to Strasburg, but you have to pencil him in, say, we'll get 15 starts out of this guy, maybe. And that's the end of it. So they have the depth. I mean, Lugo with the, the arm fatigue, with the whole World Baseball Classic is a, a different debate. 
but they're going to need this depth because I don't know what you're going to get out of Matt as he's continually hurt. And it's not even just his elbow hurts and it's a recurring problem. It's always some other part of his body. So maybe they need to look at his exercise program or what, what he's doing fitness-wise. I don't know. I don't know why he's not able to get out on the mound. And it's, they're saying there's no structural damage. Okay, what's the problem? It hurts and hurts. Okay, but why does it hurt? Every pitcher's arm hurts. If you think back in the 80s, Sid Fernandez, Ron Darling, all those guys didn't have sore arms. They did. And again, I don't want to sound like the get-off-my-lawn old fart, but just I think it just reported more. You never heard any of the aches and pains back then, Paul, because it was between the writer and the player, and it was off the record. And most of the reporting was basically what went on in the game and a few op-eds, but nothing like you see today where everything is reported. Well, you also have to realize that these guys are looking at the amounts of money that a guy like I said earlier, Rich Hill is getting. Like, what am I going to get when I'm a free agent at at 26 years old? So I'm not going to risk my career. And back then, years ago, the only pitcher I can remember who would say I'm not going out there if I'm not 100% healthy was Jim Palmer. And Palmer still pitched 300 innings a year. And Earl Weaver used to call him a malingerer and say he was jaking when he said he couldn't go. He took a pay cut after he went, I think it was 7-12, and 12 after he'd won two Cy Young Awards the previous two years. It was something like that. And they, they cut his pay. And then he went back to being the Hall of Fame great that he was. You know, if you, if you want a pitcher, you don't. And some, sometimes you have to go out there and fight through it. Absolutely. Paul, you've been generous with your time on a Sunday. Looking forward to catching up again during the season. Fanragsports.com. Be well and uh, keep it up on Twitter, man, all right? Okay, you too. Have a great Sunday. That's Paul Lebowitz, fanragsports.com. And you can check him out at Prince underscore of underscore NY. Paul goes at it, man. He's gone at it with me, and he's always a good follow, fun to go back and forth, never personal. And uh, it's okay that you agree to disagree, but I got to tell you, you know, a lot of times Paul's more right than wrong, and I had a lot, you know, I agree with a lot of what he said out there today, including, like I said in the open, I'm not going to make a prediction. All I can say is that the Mets are a solid team. You got to be worried about their health. You uh, you definitely want to, uh, uh, you know, realize that this team is is not perfect. I do worry about the uh, the offense being a little feast or famine, but. Um, you know, uh, you know, it's it's essentially a situation where I think it's going to be a fun summer, and I think the Mets are going to be in until the end, and I think we'll have a lot to talk about. Hopefully, because this this show needs it. You know, we we need to continue the interaction. What we've been doing here uh, now over a year. It's one year anniversary of me being uh, part of the Mets Morized Online community. Hey, that's it. I want to thank everybody. Of course, I want to thank Paul Lubowitz. Check him out on Twitter at Prince underscore of underscore NY. You can check out the show all the time at MetsmorizedOnline.com. Send me a tweet at Mike Silver Media. Check out the show on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher, Blog Talk Radio, pretty much whatever podcasting service you desire. And uh, happy opening day. I'm your host, Mike Silva. Enjoy the rest of your Sunday. Enjoy opening day. Baseball season's here. Take care, everybody.
Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target, are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall Credit Card Bill.